Hey guys, and welcome to a unique episode of Real Christianity. Today I'm going to be solo. I'm also not recording on my podcast mic. I'm recording on uh, a lav mic, which is basically for giving sermons. So a lot of you have asked me over the last two years, hey Dale, I'd love to hear some of your sermons. Uh, I'm going to deliver a sermon today on John chapter 3 on the topic of being born again or uh, regeneration. And I thought it would be best that I could walk around and not have the microphone here. You can watch this sermon uh, as a video in, uh, on YouTube with the rest of our podcast there. But it's going to be a bit of a different show. Uh, we're going to go through John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. So I'm going to just read the passage of Scripture. I'm reading in the New King James. And then we'll go through just as a regular uh, sermon. I'd love to share this concept with you. I think it's incredibly important for the Christian to understand. So John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, I'm reading in the New King James. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that has come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So I, I want to open up with a quote. I think that uh, there's an 18th century, or not 18th century, a 19th century theologian named J.C. Ryle. He gives a really great quote that I think uh, gives you a little bit of the fear of the Lord in regards to this conversation of being born again. He says, if a man is not born again, there will come a time where he wishes that he was never born at all. And so today we're talking about spiritual uh, regeneration or the doctrine of regeneration, uh, the re- spiritual requirement for salvation that's produced by God. This is a sovereign act of God that's something that we can't manufacture or generate, and it's something that we're actually left out of in terms of the spiritual rebirth process. Um, some call it conversion, uh, most call it being born again. Um, but in five times in this text, when you read it, it talks about the idea of being born again. Born again, you must be born again. And so I have a question for you. I think this is a great way to start. Um, How much say or input did you have on your first birth? Like, were you um, an advisor on your first birth? Did you, uh, were you asked, uh, you know, to give counsel on how your birth should go or if you should be eternally created or if your parents should conceive you or be birthed by your mother? Of course not. You, You had no say in being involved with the decision of your first birth. And the same is exactly true of your second birth, your spiritual birth. You don't have uh, any input on that process. Jesus tells us that we must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is this idea of the the realm of salvation. Uh, To to enter into the realm of salvation, we must be born again. Um, Can you manufacture spiritual rebirth? Like, can you deliver yourself into this spiritual state? Can you actually cause the rebirth in someone else's life? Uh, Again, of course not. You you can't do that. 
Um, you can lead them to the gospel. You can preach the truth of the word of God. Um, you, you, can, you can pray for people, but you can't actually produce the, the new spirit, the new heart, the regeneration process that is the evidence of salvation for the Christian. 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 6 through 7 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. It is God that brings the increase of this spiritual regeneration uh, that we call conversion or, or, or born again. Um, nowhere in the text does it say, uh, do, we, do we hear Jesus say, hey, you should do this to be born again or pray this to be born again. Um, uh, you should say these things to be born again. You should, you should you know, walk in these steps of obedience to be born again. There's no instructive principles that he's actually giving uh, in the process of actually generating rebirth. Uh, there's no how-to steps of that. We, we might think that confession or repentance or, uh, or, or belief automatically leads to rebirth. Uh, but sadly, I, I think historical experience uh, leads us to understand that there's a, that's not, it's not as linear as we'd like to believe. Uh, we know that belief in Christ doesn't necessarily make you a born-again Christian because uh, even the demons believe in, in tremble. So th- there's a difference between believing in Christ as the king of the world <clears throat> And then believing in him as Lord of your life. And so the demons believe that he's king of the world, but that's a very different thing than him being in a saving belief to make him Lord over your life. We know that confession of Christ doesn't necessarily make you born again. Jesus talks about the idea of uh, these people confess me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so confession doesn't necessarily mean regeneration. Uh, We know that a repentant moment in time doesn't necessarily mean uh, regeneration. There's a scripture, 2 Corinthians uh, 2.7 that says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, uh, whereas worldly grief produces a false repentance that leads to death. And so there's a type of repentance that many partake in the church today that um, that is actually leads to death. It's, it's a false repentance where a, a true godly repentance, uh, it, it puts away this, uh, this regret. There's no regret. There's no turning back going, oh, you know what? I, I've repented, but man, I want to look back. You think about Lot's wife, right? Is she, she's walking out of Sodom and Gomorrah and she's, she's looking back to her old life that's not repentance. That's, that's a false repentance. And, and actually many people in the church today are, are, are guilty of that false repentance. They actually haven't turned away from their sin and turned to God. Uh, we know that service in the church or, or uh, spiritual gifts or callings or, or, or even miracles or wonders aren't necessarily evidences of rebirth in the Christian um, the passage that we know about says, Lord, Lord, we did all these spiritual things in your name. And Jesus responds with, uh, away from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. And so outwardly, um, it, it, it may look like we've done the right things, but ultimately it's God who can do that spiritual rebirth activity, the putting in of the, the new heart and the new spirit inside the Christian. 
And if you still don't believe that you're left out, that you can actually choose regeneration, um, you know, ask any Christian parent uh, who has a child who doesn't believe. Um, there's a letter that I found from uh, a lady to her grown son. Her name's Mary Winslow. She's the mother of the uh, renowned English preacher Octavius Winslow. This is in the 1800s, and she writes her, or she writes her son, her grown son, a letter, and she says, "Godly parents cannot convert their children. God alone can do this, but they can lead them to Jesus and bring them up in the fear of the Lord. And when they have done this, they have done all they can do, for the Holy Spirit alone can change the heart." They must be born again. Christ has said it. It is not just a change of sentiment, nor an outward reformation of life. It is a new heart implanted by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying these things to you guys that it would bring confusion or doubt to the assurance of of your own salvation. That's not my hope. I I don't want you to walk away going, oh my gosh, I'm doubting my salvation. If if you're a believer, I don't want you to do that. Um, However, today will be a time of healthy self-examination, which is a biblical concept of self-examination. And many churches um, have, many churches and many Christians have confused moralism for regeneration. So we, we look at someone's activity and behavior modification and prove, and we actually confuse moralism for what's really uh, missing is the regeneration that, that is required to be a born-again believer. And to understand this properly, we got to understand, um, uh, you know, what the Bible says about these these matters. So my my hope is is not to remove hope, but but I would like to remove false hope. Um, I I don't want to remove assurance, but I would, it would be uh, of the Lord to remove false assurance. And, and this message can easily be a knife instead of a scalpel. And, and I want to say this, I, I want to be careful how it's done because a knife can cut out the assurance that actually is godly. And I, I don't want that to happen. Um, a scalpel is to take out that false hope or that, that false assurance and cut that out or that false confidence and, and put that back in to Christ. And... Um, if any of you have concerns regarding your, your own heart on the matter of regeneration, am I reborn? Um, I'm going to give several examples at the end of the sermon about what it means to be reborn. And you can evaluate yourself against those passages and go, oh, okay, I can rest in, in these, these scriptures that, yes, I do bear the marks of a born-again Christian. And so, again, we're talking about the doctrine of regeneration. So if you want to put a theological term on it, um, not everybody needs to know that it's the doctrine of regeneration, but that's the doctrine that we're talking about today. And in order to understand that properly, we have to understand uh, what the Bible says about our current state. Because apparently, we need to be regenerated from something. It implies that the state that we're currently in is gravely wrong. Um, It's profoundly wrong. Our our natural human status is insufficient. Therefore, there needs to be a doctrine of regeneration. Therefore, Jesus says we need to be born again because we weren't born right. We weren't born correctly. That we need to be born again. Um, 
And so I want to talk about that for a second. This is, this is the idea of depravity, right? Uh, th- that we are born broken, born sinners. And uh, the Bible tells us that you and I are uh, sinners. And I-, I would say literally from your feet to the top of your head, you're a sinner. You're a born sinner. You're polluted and, and corrupted uh, with, with sins. And, and not just that, but you're also deserving of hell. This is something that we really need to permeate in the church because uh, there's such a high view of self in the church that it prohibits the, the heart posture required for repentance. And, um, and when, you, when you recognize how gross you are, how, how, how broken and polluted you are, and how low you are, uh, it really helps magnify the grace of God in your life. Uh, there's a quote, I forgot who said it, but the kingdom of self is heavily defended territory. Um, and so, uh, you know, th- this idea of, of self, um, you know, h- how do we deal with that? What are the scriptures that talk about and identify the, the true identity of a natural, carnal human being that, that doesn't know the Lord? Psalm 51, 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in, in sin my mother conceived me. Again, implying that it's from the very beginning that, that we are sinners. We're, we're saturated with sin. You and I are depraved. We, we, we cannot, in our natural state, state, inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus. And we're going to get there to the verse-by-verse exposition of this. But, but we cannot, in our current status, inherit the kingdom of God. We, we must be born again. This is why Jesus says, what is born of flesh is of flesh. And we know that Galatians gives us the, the list of the, 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 the evidence, the works of the flesh are evident, as it says. And it lists off all these terrible things. The flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Think about two running tracks. You have one track that is running side by side with another track. One is flesh and and the other is spirit. One leads to hell and the other leads to heaven. And, and, And you and I can't jump onto the other track. We need the Lord to regenerate us and birth us over to this other track. Um, but, but it's, it's really God that does that, that process. So again, I want to be clear that the flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, the need for rebirth, um, this is a really important foundational uh, understanding before we, we get into the, the details of what we're talking about today. Um, the, the section of scripture, John 3, 1 through 8, it's going to teach us um, uh, some vital doctrine. N- not only is this a concept that Jesus gives himself, um, this isn't something that is kind of peripheral that, 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 uh, that Paul kind of um, develops off of the gospel. This is something directly given by Christ. It's also given on, uh, early on in his ministry, which I find fascinating that it's pretty early on. It's chapter 3, he, he's talking about being born again. And again, the main idea of the text is that rebirth must occur to receive salvation. You, you must be a born-again Christian in order to receive salvation salvation. And it's something that cannot be generated by man. Um, and, and for some of you, that, that happened as a child. And it might be difficult to identify when that happened in your life. And you, you might be examining yourself and you go, oh man, I don't know if I was born again then. And, and what does it really look like? I want you to rest 
We're going to talk about this. And again, I'm going to give you those passages of assurance. Um, for, for another group, it might be that you had a dramatic rebirth experience. And, and uh, you know, everybody sometimes sees someone's dramatic rebirth experience and they wonder if they actually were reborn because this person's rebirth was just so crazy and mine's not. Um, th- th- I want you to put that aside as well. Um, for others, it's been a, a slow process where, where you came uh, to know the Lord, you, you sat under the preaching of God's word and all of a sudden uh, your heart starts changing and, and your, your affections start changing and, and, and all of a sudden your life starts looking more fruitful. And, and so there's, there's, a, there's a variety of ways that I've seen this happen in people's lives. So don't try to put yourself in a box uh, on how this must work. Um, I was referencing some commentaries in this passage and actually I really appreciated how John MacArthur put uh, I guess a breakdown or an outline to these these verses one through eight. So I broke it down into three sections, and I'm gonna, I'm going to use just this simple structure. Uh, he, he says there's really three parts. There's there's the worry of man. That's kind of part one, which we'll talk about. Nicodemus's worry. There's the word of Christ. This is like the command, what you need to do about it. Uh, that's the second section, and then the third section is uh, the the work of the Spirit uh, and what the Spirit does. Right. So so we have the worry of man, the wor- word of Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit. So just follow along with me, and I think you're going to see that theme trail through the text here. So verses 1 through 4, it says, uh, this is the worry of man. Now there was a man uh, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Uh, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, uh, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs uh, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, so I want you to understand a little bit about Nicodemus and who, who he was. He's a Pharisee. Um, this man knew the Old Testament scriptures at a, at a level that most of us have never even experienced. He probably had giant swaths of these scriptures memorized. Uh, he, was, he was probably trained up in the Torah and the law, uh, in the prophets from a young child, and he had a a, a, a robust understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. Um, he, he probably knew them more than almost anyone alive at the time. And so just remember that level of intellect. He's also incredibly loyal to the law. As a Pharisee, this, this man is walking in intricate step with the law. I mean, this guy is, is following every detail of the law. They're actually, uh, many people say that they're isolationists, a group of these Jews that's almost like a Hebrew monk. They're separating themselves because they, they, you know, there's a bit of a, uh, a prideful posture of like, I want to be away. They're not, they're not actually concerned about the spiritual well-being of others. They're more concerned about their own spiritual well-being. This is why Jesus calls them say, you hypocrites, right? You whitewash tombs. This is where it comes from. These people that were, again, this, this high and mighty posture of pride that is deeply uh, ingrained into the way that they they, uh, they um, held themselves. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin, as we find out in, in the book of John. And, and every Jewish town had a Sanhedrin. So think of a Sanhedrin as a court, um, a gathering for people to hold uh, their, their c- civilians against the biblical law because they were a theocracy, right? And so every town had a little Sanhedrin, right? There was the great Sanhedrin that was in Jerusalem, and Nicodemus was a part of that Sanhedrin. That's the 70 elders over Jerusalem. This is kind of like the Supreme Court of the United States. So this is a big deal. 
Uh, Nicodemus is very wealthy. He was very influential. He knew the word. He, was, he, he had lots of relationships with everybody that was of power. Um, so this is a big uh, position that he sits in. Um, and I want to illustrate just the heart posture of a Pharisee just to remind you what we're dealing with here. And, and Jesus shares uh, a parable in Luke 18, uh, 9 through 14. Uh, it says, Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. So pay attention to that, trust in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men, uh, he's telling the story, verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, or even like this tax collector. Okay, so first he's, he's got an improper view of self. He's got an elevation of self, right? He's got a pride. He trusted in himself. This is what Jesus is illuminating here. He says, I'm not like these other people. I'm above them. And then verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess and and. And the tax collector standing off afar would not even so much raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, the tax collector's got an improper view of self. He thinks he's better. He's not depraved. And then you see the, uh, sorry, the Pharisee. And then the tax collector has a proper view of self. He, he understands that he's not worthy, that he can't stand upon his own works, that he needs a savior. And this is the posture, right? So Jesus is talking to a man that holds this posture of that uh, self-righteous posture in comparison to a proper view of self, that we are depraved, we are in need of God, we need God to rescue us, we cannot save ourselves, regeneration comes by the Lord, okay? Um, Nicodemus, uh, I think, started to, to, to recognize this. Um, he, he, he comes to Jesus by night. This, this is an evidence that he's, he wants to know more and, and he's, he's afraid to be seen he comes by night and um, he's, he's trying to, to, to express this. He has a concern in his heart. He knew something was wrong. He knew that Jesus might have that answer. Um, and how did he know? How did he know that he might have the answer? Well, it says in the text that Nicodemus knows that he's a, of God because he sees the divine works that he's doing. And we know, if you look back just in chapter two, uh, right after Jesus throws everybody out of the, the money changers and uh, and, and people doing sacrifices out of the temple, the Jews come up to him and they say, hey, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Right? They, they want to see a sign because that's the historical nature of God's relationship with them. Moses would give them signs. The prophets would give them signs. Uh, this was the validation of the divinity. And so uh, this is the, the same reason First uh, Corinthians, uh, I forgot what it is, maybe chapter 2, Paul says that, that the Jews demand a sign and the Greeks seek for wisdom. This is common, right? But Nicodemus saw this. He saw the divinity. He saw the power of Christ in the signs that he was doing. And it gave him confidence to go to him and reveal this heart matter that he's, I'm struggling, Jesus. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to come to you by night. And I'm going to tell you uh, in some way that I, 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 I know that you're from God. Um, 
but you look at the text and it's fascinating because Nicodemus doesn't ask a question. He, he's, he comes in by night. He says, hey, I, I know that you're divine. But Jesus responds to him as if Nicodemus asked him, hey, you talk about this kingdom. How, how do you get to be a part of the kingdom? But, but that's not what happened. Nicodemus didn't ask that question, but Jesus responded as if there was a question asked. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What a fascinating response, like a different response. And what's, what's really happening here? What's really happening here? If you turn back to John 2, 24 to 25, I'll just read it for you right now. Um, it gives us a little bit of an insight of, of Jesus's capability. It says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about, about man for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew what was in Nicodemus before it even came out of his mouth. He, he didn't need to ask, hey, why are you here? Can you, can you fill me in with why you're coming to me by night? No, no, Jesus answered the heart question without Nicodemus even revealing that to him. And, and so we know that Nicodemus' heart is going, how do I enter this kingdom of God that you talk about? And Jesus knew what Nicodemus was looking for before it came out of his mouth. He's looking for the solution for the anguish of his soul. Uh, basically, I think Nicodemus is saying, I- I've done everything. I, I still don't have peace. I-, I still don't understand Jesus. Tell me what I can do. I, I need to know what, what can I do? And, and that's the catch, right? There- this is the catch. There's nothing that you can do. This is what Jesus says. He, he uses birth, something that you have nothing to do with. It's an analogy that, that leaves you out. And, and he says, you can't do anything. You, you need to be born again, right? This, this is the grace of God on display. This is the central part of grace going, oh, I can't do anything. There's nothing that I can do. Stop working, Nicodemus. Stop. It's not working. You can't do anything, Nicodemus. It's not good enough. It's something that um, Nicodemus had to have been greatly frustrated with. A statement that just greatly frustrated with. There's, there's nothing that you can do but accept that you in your own works are hopeless and helpless and you must cast yourself on the floor before the Lord. Go, I, I can't do anything. There's no good works in me. There's, there's nothing that that I can do here, Father. I am ready to lay down in front of you and let let you do the thing that you need to do in me. That is the exact opposite posture of a Pharisee. This is the posture of the tax collector. Then he moves into verses four through six, which again is the second section, the word of Christ. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter into his... Mother's womb for a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So 
I'm, I'm expecting that Nicodemus was incredibly confused. I mean, he obviously, uh, he can't even understand the spiritual language right now. He's, he's still in the literal track going, hey, all right, so you're telling me that I got to go jump back into my mom's womb. My mom's passed away, so how's this going to happen here? You know, he, he's in the literal track. He's not even understanding and discerning the spiritual language. Um, but again, Jesus didn't answer him directly. He, he doesn't tell him. He, he shows him. He, he, he guides him along with this. He, he does this by offering two, two statements of truth um, that, that a man, again, with his biblical intellect should fully understand. Okay, so he's giving him some clues and follow along with me here. He's, gonna, he's giving Nicodemus some clues because he expects that Nicodemus is He's part of the Sanhedrin. This guy knows the Bible. He, he, he knows what he's talking about. He knows the scripture that he's going to reference, the memorized scripture in his heart. He knows it. And we're going to find out uh, as he leads him along what the, what the solution that he's talking about is, these two pieces of truth. So the first one that Nicodemus needs to grasp, grasp is Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of of God. And the second is this truth that, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so let's talk about this, this first one. Uh, Jesus brings some more clarity uh, to, to his teaching. He, he doesn't only say uh, that we've been, we need to be born again. He says that we need to be born of water and of spirit. And he's going, uh, Nicodemus, um, you're biblically intelligent. Where in the Bible, where in the Old Testament, the, the, the law and the prophets that you know so well, where does it talk about being born of water and of spirit? Where does that language appear? Pull that out, Nicodemus. Come on, I'm guiding you here. And Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27, which is a passage that he, he was absolutely familiar with. This is incredibly important new covenant language. Uh, almost all the prophets prophesy and predict the, the new covenant, but Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah bring ultra clarity on, on this stuff. But Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27, uh, gives some clarity of what we're talking about. This idea of being born of the water and of the spirit. You need to be born of these two things. What do you mean here? He gives us the answer. Um, and I want you to pay attention to the I wills and the things that God will produce in people. Okay, that this again shows that this is a sovereign work of God. You're not going to go regenerate yourself. This is not what the Old Testament predicts. And this is a beautiful illustration of, of how this process happens. So I'm reading again, Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. It says, For I will take you from I will take you from among the nations, gather you of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. There's this pattern of I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then as a result of all that, you will, right? This is beautiful sovereignty, sovereignty language that God is going to do this 
this work in you. And then as a result of the work that the Lord does in you, you will keep the commandments. You will walk in those statutes and walk in my judgments there. So the water and the spirit, um, uh, the, the water is the, it's this idea of cleansing, right? We need to be clean. We, we're, we're filthy. We need to be clean. And we're clean and washed by the blood. We, we're washed by this idea of, of, of cleansing. And if you're a Jew, especially a Pharisee, you are absolutely familiar with the idea of ceremonial washing. So the idea that you need to be born of the water, uh, cleansed, and of the spirit. Uh, again, this idea of God's spirit being put in you, it's not something that you can do. It's the jump to the other track. It's a really important process. It, without it, you don't have salvation. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 33 echoes the same language again. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. A lot of people have thought that this uh, term here is baptism. It means that you need to be born of the baptism waters and the Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit. I, 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 just, I just don't think that's the case. It doesn't line up with the historical, theological, and prophetic context there. Uh, baptism is something that you do post, uh, post being saved, um, post-regeneration as a way to identify yourself with the Lord, um, to, to, uh, to identify yourself as a member of the church. Um, I, I don't think that baptism has any role in saving a person. We know that there's the thief on the cross who gets uh, salvation, and he, he's not baptized in this capacity. But at this moment, his belief in regeneration could have happened on that crucifix. Um, so, so I don't believe it's talking about uh, baptism and being born of the Spirit. I think baptism is the first act of obedience that you do after uh, you've been regenerated as a Christian. And so uh, we must be cleansed of our sin. We must be given a new spirit is what Jesus is saying. And these are two things that can only be done by Christ. Then he moves into this other kind of uh, you know, uh, metaphor or analogy, that this explanation of, of, of how this works and the truths about these things. He says, uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Um, And so again, he's saying, Nicodemus, the natural man cannot see the spiritual truths of God. Um, He's corrupt. He's blind. He's deaf. This is all the terms that Jesus uses on a regular basis. He's in need of a new heart. Uh, First Corinthians chapter 2, 14 says this idea that you can't hear or discern spiritual truths before you're born again. This is probably why Nicodemus is lost about the spiritual language and he thinks it's literal language about jumping back into his mother's womb. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, so again, this idea in order to enter into the kingdom of God, We must be able to see the kingdom of God. You're not going to be able to go to the kingdom of God until you actually see the kingdom of God. And that's an important distinction to make. And that's what you see in the text. The first thing he says there is, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The next time he says it, it's unless one is born again of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You've got to see it before you can even enter it. And you can't even see it when you're blind. You can't even, you need this regeneration to happen. 
in your heart and uh, in your spirit. And this had to make Nicodemus, someone who works incredibly hard, incredibly hard to be righteous. He's worked incredibly hard to get into the kingdom of God. He spends his whole life, all of his work, all of his efforts, all of his, his, his thoughts to enter in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus tells him this, that's got to give him this great inability of going, I can't do anything. Like, I can't do anything. Nothing. This is, this is got to be a theological breakdown crash moment for Nicodemus. And I think we actually see that. We're not there to watch this, but I see that in the next verse. Jesus says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Obviously, Nicodemus is marveling right now, right? He's going, wait, what? What? I have to be, all the work I'm doing has nothing. And all I have to do is be born again. And I can't do that? Jesus is watching him marvel at this. And this is actually the point where Jesus finally points this distinction to Nicodemus. He actually says, uh, do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. So it's the first one is you got to see it. You got to be born again to even see it. Then you got to be born again to even enter it. And then Nicodemus, I'm moving out of the third person. And now it's about you now, brother. You need to be born again. You need to be born again. Um, and again, Jesus is going, you're, you're in the Sanhedrin, my friend. How do you not know this? How do you not know this, right? This is in the Old Testament. You guys have been waiting for this. This is, this is Old Testament language. How are you shocked by these truths? And so he, he closes this section of scripture with another analogy to help Nicodemus kind of understand the inability to get involved with the regeneration process, which is the requirement of salvation, the conversion moment. And, and he uses a, a really fascinating analogy. So the first analogy he uses is birth. Uh, how much involvement are you, uh, do you have in your birth? Zero. And then he uses another analogy that we're going to hear right now that, that, again, you have nothing to do with and you can't control. He says in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus uses a wind or uses the wind as, as an example to illustrate the uncontrollable nature of rebirth. Uh, like, just like you can't see the plan of the wind, like oh, where the wind's going or where it came from. Um, you, you can't know or direct the Spirit of God. Uh, you can't have the Spirit redirected toward you in this capacity or, or toward your children. And you, you can intercessory prayer, of course, these things that we have as tools from Scripture, but, but you can't control it like a Pharisee especially was trying to control it. This is not something that is controllable. This is this is. God's sovereignty, um, regeneration is a sovereign work. And anyone who tries to control regeneration is like a man who's trying to control the wind. 
It's impossible. It's not something that you get to control. It's the, it's the Lord's work of regeneration. And so uh, I want to ask you, looking at this journey, looking at your works, looking at your, your life, looking at your, your own Christian experience, when you hear this process, um, maybe many of you guys uh, pray, prayed a prayer at a time. Uh, maybe you were born as a, uh, in a Christian family and, and you, you were, don't even remember a time that you weren't Christian. Um, have you experienced this rebirth process? Like has, has God cleansed you uh, with his, with his uh, washing of you? And, and has he given you a new heart? Ha- have you experienced Christianity in a, not, not just in a behavior way, but in a heart way? Has he taken out that heart of stone and, and given you a heart of flesh, as he says he would? Dr. Stephen Lawson once said a quote. He said, The only thing worse than not having the assurance of salvation is having the false assurance of salvation. And again, I don't want to create doubt in somebody that has salvation. That's not what I'm trying to do. I want to remove any false false hope or false doubt or false uh, salvation or false assurance or false confidence. Um, but how can you really know? How, how can you know if the Lord has actually done this rebirthing, regenerating experience in your heart? How can you know that thing? There's articles all over the internet trying to answer that question. I want to look at scripture. I think scripture gives us uh, so I'm, I'm going to give you a handful of these and you get to evaluate yourself. Have I been born again? Has the Lord done that sovereign work in me and birthed me uh, with a new heart and, and put his spirit within me? So if you're a born again Christian, um, this is what will be true. Uh, one is you, you will understand your utter insufficiency and need for a savior. You will know that deep in your soul. You will not be resting on your own works. You will understand and feel your utter insufficiency and guilty nature before the Lord and your need for a Savior. That, that's, that's a huge evidence there. Uh, you know that, that you were deserving of hell um, and, and outside of Christ that you were helpless and hopeless. That, that is a very critical, that's the very beginning heart posture of someone who is saved. 1 Corinthians uh, 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved by it, it's the power of God. Is the message of the cross foolish to you? If it's not, then you're, 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 you're someone that's born again because you, you understand that it's not foolish, that it's actually the thing that saved your life. Number two, you're deeply repentant and broken over your sin. Um, you're concerned about being right with God at all times. There, there's, there's repentance is kind of broken up into two categories, right? You got capital R repentance. That's the repentance that like you, you come to Christ and you repent and you turn away from your own desires and your own flesh and you turn to Christ. And, and this is just a... Uh, I need you, Savior, repentance. And then there's the little r repentance, which is the daily repentance uh, of you just want to be right with God all the time. You don't love your sin. And while sin still remains in the Christian, sin doesn't reign 
in, in the Christian, right? Uh, it's not just about the one-time repentance of the prayer that was said, but you're actually regretting it. You're going back into your old ways. You're going back into drinking on the weekends. You're going back to that pornography uh, uh, fixation. You're going back into the cussing and the, the, the foul language and the disgusting talk. You're going, if that's going on, then yeah, you have doubt, my friend. But, but if you're repentant, and you have a concern of a heart posture that's pursuing cleanness, it's, it's not just the behavior modification, but it's actually at the heart level, then, then again, this is a sign of someone that's saved. Number three, you're set free from the bondage of sin. Uh, you have no hidden, repetitive, habitual sin. You're not in something that you're fixated and you continue to do over and over and over again as if you're a slave to it, that it's your master, it's your Lord. You're not walking in that. Uh, you know, I think about someone who's an AA and um, when someone's an AA and they say, oh my goodness, I've been clean for 10 years. I go, well, hey, you know what? Uh, th- that's great. But the reality is, is you're still an alcoholic. You've just had a really strong discipline there. When Jesus comes in, you're you're no longer an alcoholic. He changes your affections. He changes your identity. You're a new creation. You're you're not an alcoholic. You don't even want alcohol anymore. He changes that. There's a quote that's said often. It's that, um, that God doesn't just change what you do. He changes what you want to do. And that's the evidence of someone that's born again. Their affections change. They're, They're set free. If you have a habitual pornography problem, man, you need to, Sit before the Lord and find out some self-examination on this, this matter. 1 John chapter uh, 3, 4 through 10 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there, are, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. That means habitually. No one keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him, meaning that if you keep doing that, you don't even know God. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. This, is, this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. We all sin as Christians. As I said, Christians, we have sin that remains, but we don't have sin that reigns. We don't want sin. We hate sin. It's our enemy. We get it out of our life. That's the sign of a believer who's regenerated. Number four, you seek God. You're hungry and you're thirsty for God. You want to get on your face and worship God. You love God. You just want to talk to God all the time. That, that is because his spirit dwells in you and he wants to be unified. This is, this is a mark of a, of a born-again believer. You cherish his word. You want to study his word. You, you wish you had more time to study. You, you, you wish you had more time to worship. But the heart is that you want God. Romans 3.10-11 through 11 says, As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one, No one understands. No one seeks for God. So if you're seeking for God and the scriptures say that a carnal man does not seek for God, then that's evidence that you are born again. Romans 8, 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. If you're not hostile to God, you love God, you love God's law, you want to be obedient to him, then you're you're the opposite of of the carnal man. You're a a born-again believer. Uh, Number five, 
you're, you're being sanctified. Uh, that is, you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. This is evidence overflowing in your life. This is something that you're becoming more like Christ. He's sanctifying you in His truth. This, this is, there's evidence you're being disciplined. You're, you're, being, you're being grown. You're being molded into your Savior. This isn't self-fueled behavior modification I'm getting better discipline. This is, this is beautiful pruning development of your spirit, making you more mature, making you more fruitful. Second Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in, a new, is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Philippians says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Is the Lord completing you? Is he making you more like Christ? Can you look back two years ago? Man, I know the Lord and I am, I am more like Christ today than I was two years ago. Or are you stagnant? Hebrews 12 talks about the idea of, of if you are left without discipline, then you're an illegitimate son and daughter. Does the Lord discipline you? He disciplines those he loves. Does he discipline you? These are Mark's. Can you discern spiritual truths? Can you see the, the spiritual warfare in your world? This is number six. Does, does the morality of God's word reign true in you? Or you? Do you cherish it and love that? Do you, do you kind of have a prophetic ear? You can see what's going on. You can see the spiritual warfare around you. A couple other things I'm going to say is, um, these are just really quick. Do, do you have a spiritual gift? Do you edify others and you see fruit come in their lives because of the words that you spoke through, um, through a spiritual gift and the edification of the saints? Do, do you see that? Is the Lord answering your prayers? Uh, this is a great way to tell if, if you're having a regular occurrence of the Lord answering prayers for you. This is a great uh, evidence that you're saved. And so if this is you, rest in that salvation. You can, you can relax. You can rest in Christ. Um, rest in the power of of the Holy Spirit to keep you until that, that day of salvation. Abide in his word. Uh, seek Christ. Be in that relationship. Um, but if you're not having that sense and you're concerned that maybe this isn't me, Second um, Corinthians tells us what to do. It says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know, who you're, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. And many... In the lowercase c church, like the, the, the actual church buildings versus the actual universal church, many in the church are deceived about this. They're sitting in the pews, dead in the pews. Someone's told them that they prayed the prayer and that they, they, they came forward that one day and that they, they prayed the prayer and that they're saved and they've turned it into moralism, but they actually haven't had a heart regenerated by God and, and they're confused. They're, they think that they're actually being sanctified, but when in reality there's having more, more uh, morality in their life, and they don't actually have these marks that I talked about. And so you've you got to evaluate yourself. Is there actually a regeneration in my life? Is my heart new? Do I seek God in Christ? Do I, do I love Him? Do I keep His commands? Because again, they've confused moralism for regeneration. And I'm going to close. I'm going to share a story. Uh, a long time, even up until about eight weeks ago, I would share my story, my testimony, that I was saved at 20. And um, 
that was my testimony that I shared. I was saved at 20 years old. That was what I would say. And I, I was at dinner with a friend who's a pastor a couple weeks ago, maybe about four or five weeks ago. <clears throat> and he um, was asking me, hey, Dale, how's life? I'll give me, catch me up. How's the last several years been? And I told him about my life and about how when we moved up here to Oregon and how I met uh, Matt Jacobson and, and the guy who pastored me for several years and how that, that moment was the time that I had a huge inflection point in my spiritual walk and, and then how, how I was actually being set free from sin and, and the sanctification all started coming in and, and I, fruit in my life and, and, and I started getting into the word more and, and he goes, oh, so that was when you were saved. I, I mean, it like knocked me out of my chair because I was going, wait, 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 what? He's like, yeah, that was like, that was when you converted. That was when you were born again. And, and I had to go home that night um, and, and start evaluating my life between the ages of 20 and 28. I'll be 35 here soon. And I'm going, Wow. All those things that I talked about, I did not have any of those assurances in my life between 20 and 28. I, I was the guy that, that his life was Jesus is Lord, but not Lord of my life. I was the guy that professed him with his lips and my heart was far from him. I was actually the same way. I was a moralist. I've confused moralism for regeneration. I was a religious zealot. I was doing these things, but I had no fruit in my life. I wasn't even saved. I, I, I was under the impression that I was, but I was actually not regenerated. I, I was confused about this. I was deceived about this. I went to church. I did the different things. But at the end of the day, I was still in bondage to sin. I was still, I was still didn't have a, a love and a desire for Christ. I was still a liar and a cheater and, the, and, and all the things. I was gross. I was gross. And this process, I, I didn't have real repentance. I was apologetic over my sin, but I loved my sin. I wasn't repentant of my sin. Um, I, I called Matt and I said, hey, you know, you shared the gospel with me six years ago, seven years ago. And, and I think I became a Christian then. He gave me the fear of the Lord. He, he gave me the real magnitude of the gospel, the understanding, the posture of, of how, how much we need Christ. I, I remember hearing the biblical gospel. I remember the weight of my sin falling on me. I remember having a repentant heart. I remember apologizing to my wife in tears. And, and I, I confused that moment with sanctification when in reality it was actually when I was born again. It was actually when I was born again. And um, that, that process woke me up. It really did. And, um, and I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that process in your life. Could you be deceived? I don't want to remove assurance. I want to remove false assurance. Could you be deceived? I'll close with one last element here. A week after I had just made that discovery that my conversion was only happened seven years ago or six years ago, I started thinking about my baptism. I got baptized shortly after my false conversion when I was 20. And I, uh, I was 
baptized with a girl that I was dating at the time. I was sleeping with the girl before I was baptized. I was sleeping with her after I was baptized. And I was sleeping with girls after I broke up with that girl. And um, I was walking in unrepentant sin. And the Lord came and convicted me deeply and said, you've never been baptized as a believer. And try taking that conviction as a pastor that I need to be baptized again. And so that was incredibly humbling. And so uh, I called Matt again, the guy that discipled me. And I said, brother, what do you think of this? And um, first he said, well, hey, this is evidence that you don't need to be baptized to be saved. <laughs> but he said, I, I think that this is, I think this is right. I think you need to be baptized. And yesterday, when I'm delivering this message to just yesterday, uh, in front of our little house church, I had Matt come over and baptize me. And so sometimes the Lord, out of our obedience to him, will make us seem like we're actually made fools for him. But it was a humbling experience to get clear on the fact that I was deceived for a long time. And regeneration is critical. And so I want you to evaluate yourselves in this process. Evaluate yourselves against scripture. I'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your truth. Father, we thank you that you do not give up on us. Father, that you're faithful. Lord, we, we, we thank you for every single person that's listening or watching this message right now. Lord, we pray that your, uh, your spirit is going and convicting and bringing clarity and understanding. Father, removing false hope. But Father, also giving assurance to those who need it. Father, we pray and we thank you for your love and your, just your, your, your desire to save, Father. We pray that there would be a, a, a clarity on if people need to get baptized again because they were, they were not baptized as believers, but they need to be baptized again since they've been reborn. Father, we pray for just conviction and understanding of this whole process of regeneration. Lord, we pray for clarity. Father, but I pray that it's just, it goes forth in a way that is faithful to your word. Lord, that you use it for your kingdom and the edification of your saints, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.